Do you sometimes want to hear from someone who will inspire you to go out and do something great? Today, I premiere a recurring series I'll be running called Everyday People, Extraordinary Leaders, and I welcome Olivia Klaus as my first guest. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode number 103. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help people be better leaders through improved communications, human relations, and personal productivity. And I'm so glad that you tuned in for today's episode. If it's the first time you're checking out Coaching for Leaders, welcome. It's great to have you because I am beginning a new series called Everyday People, Extraordinary Leaders. And for those of you who've been listening for a while, welcome back. This new series is going to feature folks who have done extraordinary things with their leadership, but like you and me are everyday people who have just done something great, have really had the courage to take things that they've learned to be more effective at influencing others and gone out in the world and done something great with it. And I'm hoping in the future that uh, I'll be able to feature some folks who are part of this community who will uh, go out and do some great things. And, you know, as this show enters its uh, second (laughs) hundred episodes, uh, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is really taking the next step of not just us all learning more, but now what can we do to go out in the world and apply it? And uh, so I'm really hopeful that this new series will give you some great examples of people who've gone out and done some wonderful things in the world. And I can't think of a better person to be able to feature for this very first interview than Olivia Klaus. Olivia is the director and producer of the documentary film Sin by Silence. And this started off as a very, very tiny project, one person's idea, hers, and moved to be a movement, (laughs) moved in to be a movement, uh, affecting so many people's lives, touching so many people, me included, and ended up uh, changing the laws of the state of California. Uh, An incredible story, and I'm going to let the story speak for itself. So in a moment here, I'll introduce Olivia, let her tell you the story of Sin by Silence. Before I do, at the end of the episode here, I've got a call to action, something you can do if you want to help out in this project as well that is ongoing. Also, a few announcements of things that I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, a few reminders, so stick around for the end. But first, here's my interview with Olivia Klaus. Well, I'm thrilled to welcome today my guest, Olivia Klaus. Olivia is a documentary filmmaker, and her production company is Quiet Little Place. And she is the director and producer of the film Sin by Silence, her most recent film. And Bonnie and I uh, first saw this film, I guess it was probably four or five years ago, and we had the privilege to uh, see it at an early screening. And this film was and is the most powerful film I've ever seen. And that goes with all of the feature films, any film I've seen in my entire life. It is such a powerful story about convicted women against abuse, which is an organization 
that a group of women inside prison formed to break the silence about abuse and learn more about what they needed to do to help others to stop the cycle of violence and domestic violence. And so I'm so thrilled to be able to welcome Olivia to the show today. Olivia, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks so much for the huge compliment about the film. That's great to know. <laughs> I I love this film, which is it's sort of an odd thing to say because, of course, it's such about a very difficult subject. Right, right, yeah. And I, I, I can't even be in the like my emotional response when I saw this film. But Bonnie and I, both of us, I mean, we were just struck by the power of this film. And so I'm, I really am impressed with what you have created with this and the story you've told. And so I'm, uh, before we get into some of the details, I was wondering if maybe you could just. For the benefit of our listening audience, uh, just give a little overview of, of what this film is and 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 how you gained an interest in the issue of looking at domestic violence. Yeah, Sin by Silence is the story, like you said, of, of the battered women support group, convicted women against abuse. Um, it actually is an incredible group of women who society has labeled as killers, and and really they are survivors. They are women who in a split second had to choose to defend their lives, the lives of their children against their abusive partners, and unfortunately have been in prison because of that act for the past 25, 30 years. And, you know, the, the film goes really dives into really what, you know, makes abusive relationships tick and what these women went through, because really I saw these women as the experts on the issue. I mean, four women die a day due to abusive relationships. And these women beat the odds. I mean, unfortunately it was, it was at, you know, um, you know, the death of their abuser, but they came out and still have a voice to kind of teach society and teach all of us what they learned and what we can learn from their mistakes to hopefully help prevent it from happening again. And so um, we really dive into this group, these incredible survivors the laws that they help change and how things are different today for women who commit the same types of crimes. And, you know, really just to, you know, rewind even, even before that, the film, I started volunteering at the California institution for women where we documented this group back in 2001 um, is when I started volunteering. And it was because of one of my best friends had finally opened up about the abuse she was enduring in her marriage and I thought she had a great marriage. She had been married for almost 10 years. They had two beautiful children. And, you know, you know about domestic violence, but it's always something that happens to other people. Mm. I never imagined that it would happen in my circle of friends. Yeah. And, you know, once my best friend opened up to me, it completely opened my eyes to this other side of, of the world, like this other side of life that I ignored. And, you know, once, once it happens in, whether it's in your own life or in someone that you love's life, like you completely have this complete flip of your life to really understand, okay, why does she keep going back? What about the kids? How does she, you know, why does she, why doesn't she just leave? You know, I used to be under the impression of all those same questions where it was a, it was a black and white issue. And really once this happened to my friend and I started on this quest to find the answers, um, it was actually a colleague of mine, Dr. Elizabeth Leonard, who wrote the book Convicted Survivors. She took me to prison with her. <laughs> and she said, if you know, if you're gonna help your friend, then you've got to come to prison and learn from the experts. 
And so I went to prison and started volunteering with her. And from that first day I met these women, they completely changed my life. You know, what society has labeled as killers and women who have been in prison for 25 plus years, you know, they were my grandmas in that group that first night that I went there. They were my mothers. They were my sister. They were myself. You know, I just saw so much in these women and, and so much hurt and so much hope at the same time. And so really that's, that's where it all began when I started on this quest was really just to help a friend who finally had opened up to me about what she was enduring behind closed doors. And I should mention the movie does really a brilliant job of addressing a lot of the questions you've just posed here in the introduction. And, uh, you know, I, it's interesting, a lot of the women who are featured in this movie were incarcerated long before many of the laws changed and are the way they are today, where so many more things are considered by juries and judges in issues of domestic violence like this. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, how did this go from you, you going in and volunteering uh, to turning into a documentary? What, what, where was the transition point? Yeah. I mean, I've worked in production my entire career, you know, the, from LA to New York to different shows, to different films. And, you know, I was more on the studio side of things and, you know, when I started volunteering with this group and over, you know, a couple years, I was continuing to volunteer and building relationship with these women and, you know, learning more about each other. And, and they learned more about my background and what I did for a living and what my life was like. And I remember it was one night, one of the women got up before group started and, you know, was like, Olivia, we have a question for you. And I was like, okay, you know, how can I help, you know, type thing. And they said, well, we want, you know, we know that you work in film and we want you to to do a film on us. We want you to tell our stories. Mm, amazing. And it completely took me back. I mean, I, I knew from when I started going to this group that they have incredible stories. They're incredible women. Like, of course, this is a great story that should be told. But that was honestly not my priority for being there. My priority was to help my friend and learn from these women stuff that I couldn't learn from books that I was reading. You know, and, and it was working. My friend was opening up to me and really confiding in me. And, and I really attributed that to these women. And so I wasn't taking the, the, the producer role when I was going to this group and being like, oh, I'm going to, you know, capture these stories and tell these women's stories to the world. It was actually the inmates who proposed this project to me. And, you know, once they asked me, I mean, how could I say no? You know, I saw how they were helping me help my friends. So how could I not tell their stories to the world and help even more women and even more families with what they're enduring? So it, it happened. The process of the film happened a, a very different way mm. than probably a lot of people assume, knowing that my background's in film. But um you know, I remember that night they, um, you know, asked me to do the film. And of course, right there on the spot, I said, no, I mean, I said, yes, sorry. But in my head, I'm saying, no, like, how are you going to pull this off, Olivia? You know, you work in, in LA in studio work and on major films, like, how are you going to pull off a documentary? Yeah. And these women gave me the first thousand dollar donation to start the project. Oh, and wow. these women, um, they make 10 cents an hour at their jobs in the prison. And they gathered $1,000 and they gave it to me and said, we want you to tell our stories and we want to help you do it. And so it kind of became this partnership where I was like, wow, if they just gave me $1,000, you know, like maybe there is a way to make this happen where looking for more donations and, you know, it, I really felt like I couldn't let them down. And so it was, it was really interesting how it all came to fruition. 
That's amazing. I didn't know that part of the story. What a what an incredible what an incredible act for them to assemble that much money in prison. Wow. Yeah. What, so as you went along and the movie started to come together, what did you want to see happen because of this movie? Um, I I remember sitting in, in the editing room. I mean, it was a long process to get this film going. It was, you know, really long to, you know, get people to really buy into the film, buy into the story, buy into the stories that we were trying to tell and what we were trying to do. And really it was in the editing room after we had shot a bunch of these stories and a lot of these interviews and I had raised the funds and we had, we had come to the editing room and we're piecing it together. And I was editing with Ann Carr in Cleveland was my editor and producer and did an amazing job. And she asked me one day, she's like, well, what do you want to do with this film? What, what do you want to see happen? And I said, like, uh, first of all, I said, I, I want to get these women out of prison. And so, you know, we kind of, in filmmaking, you kind of take the, okay, okay, what's the end result? And you work backwards from there, you know, and, and you kind of like create the journey and the story, basically, even for your film and its campaign, all getting to that one major goal. And so really everything that we, that we crafted revolved around that one focus that we wanted to see happen. Of course, we wanted to do, you know, be successful with the film and, you know, win festival awards and get a lot of press and, you know, get broadcasted. And of course, there's all those things. But really, my goal was to get these women out of prison. Because, you know, it, and of course, laws have changed and things are better if women commit these crimes. But these women have spent 25 plus years and they'd been forgotten about in the system. They had been like just kept, it was such an injustice why they were still in prison. And, you know, we just had knew we had to do something and we knew we could inspire that change through the film. So really, that's how the process works for us. We kind of made our goal and then worked backwards for how are we going to get to that goal. And so that's that's really the the journey of how this all came about of setting up our goals and really trying to acquire those goals and achieve them to really be like, okay, well, what's going to get me to this step and what's going to get me to that step and how am I going to connect these dots? And, you know, just kind of trying to create that, that web of connecting the dots. Well, this alludes perfectly to my next question, which is you alluded, you alluded to the fact that this was a long process and how long was it from when you first were asked to do this to the film actually screening? Was it months, years? It was, it was years, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it was about two years of fundraising and initial filming with like pre-interviews with a lot of the women and inmates there in prison to kind of see who did we want to focus on? What were the stories we wanted to tell? What were the, you know, the court cases that we could actually get, get access to their um, court files? What were the experts um, that we wanted to interview? Could we find one of the jurors? Could we find some of the lawyers? I mean, there's a lot of process to go into. You know, it, it's it's a lot harder with documentaries because you don't have a script. Like you, your script basically comes together in the editing room. Mm. And so you really just have to cast your net out far. And, you know, not only with the story, but also with funding <laughs> to really see what comes in. And so... That was it was about two years probably of all that research, all that background, all those pre-interviews, and also all the fundraising too. I mean, that was the hardest part of this project, was just getting people to believe in this story. 
And, and that's the hardest part because I couldn't have people accessible. You know, the women that we were profiling and the stories we were telling aren't accessible to society. Yeah. You know, you have to go through a process of, you know, even getting approved to become a volunteer in the prison. And so really it, it was hard for me to get investors or even funders interested with something so inaccessible and something. So when you look at these women's stories on paper, I mean, they, they are guilty. They did kill someone, you know, and domestic violence definitely is a lot more talked about now. But even when I was fundraising and doing all of this, you know, back in the mid mid 2000s, it, it still was was a topic that still was, you know, on pins and needles. And especially for, you know, these women are, are different types of victims. They are not the victims in the shelter. They are not your typical victims, you know, calling 911 and trying to get help. You know, they used to be, <laughs> but but they aren't anymore. And so it was hard to get a lot of people interested in the other type of domestic violence victim, mm. women who, who were victims behind bars. And so it was a long process of, of really like two to three years of research. We filmed for about five years, actually filmed and edited the story. It took about five years because of how it was so hard to get into prison because of the prison schedule for us to film. Because once, you know, we wanted a happy ending to our story and we had edited the film and we're ready to start going for festivals. And one of the inmates that we were following in, in the film finally had a chance to get out and be released after 26 years in prison. So we went back and filmed more to totally rework the ending of the film mm. to have that complete, you know, bow on top of the film where actually one of the women is released at the end. You know, sorry to give give the ending away, but there is hopeful yeah. you know, a hopeful ending to the film. And, you know, that process was really long and it was really hard. And it, you just have to kind of roll with what was happening um, to kind of make it complete. So it was a long process. I mean, from 2001 is when I started going to prison and 2009, we finally debuted the film. So it was a long journey. <laughs> so what I'm curious about is how did you, I mean, how did you stay productive during this project because you must have had situations where you just like this will never happen along that that period or it'll never come together in all the pieces it needs to how did you keep yourself productive olivia it was tough i mean it really was it was like battle after battle mountain after mountain that i had to climb and and really it came down to the conviction of my heart and, you know, that's especially in the, in the field of documentary filmmaking and in the field of advocacy, like you really, you do something not, not for the money. You don't do it for the exposure. You do it because you know it's the right thing to do. And really that's what kept me going and really seeing the potential in my friend. And, the, you know, this all started with that one phone call from my friend and I was seeing how she was blossoming and I was seeing how she was becoming empowered just from how I was able to better communicate with her mm -hmm. because of what I had learned from these women. And so, you know, seeing all these things happening, you know, people may not have bought into my idea. They didn't want to fund it. The foundations didn't want to give me any grants, but I saw it differently. And I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that this was something that I had to do. And so regardless if, you know, I had to dip into my savings to pay for the film, I had to, you know, beg, borrow and, you know, I didn't steal, but, you know, the same type of thing. It, it became very close to all of this stuff that I, that I gave up in my life. 
just to make sure that I could make this happen. And, you know, that's, that's a, you know, kind of a, a blessing in disguise that, that I had to go through all of that to kind of come out the end knowing that this could happen. Like I've gone through all this journey and I've gone through these mountains and these valleys for a reason. And it is to create this film that, you know, once I had the film together, it was so much easier to get people on board. You know, it was so much easier to, you know, get the foundations to, to fund, to help fund, to get, you know, broadcasters interested, to get the press interested. Cause we finally had these great women and I could, they were accessible to people finally, you know, but it, it was really hard to stay productive and it really just came down to, I knew I was doing the right thing. Mm. One of the things I hear a lot from leaders who are doing really important work and really difficult work is that while there's many, many obstacles externally, and you've faced tons in this project, that there are also a lot of internal obstacles that leaders get in their own way a lot, even more so. I'm wondering how you got in your own way during this, and what did you do to work through that? I, I definitely, I think I was my own worst enemy in this project. <laughs> um, how so? Um, I, you know, I think it's something that a lot of people forget about. And I'm sure, you know, in my field and everyone's field, you know, no matter what type of leadership role they're taking on is you forget about self-care. You forget about that you're just as important as the project that you're working on. And if you don't take care of yourself and, you know, take those breaks and take, you know, at least a day off or, you know, take a, you know, nights away from your cell phone and your email so that, you know, you, you at least get some type of sanity that you can help create for yourself so that you are more productive in the work that you're doing. So you don't get burned out on the work that you're doing. You know, it's hard to set up those boundaries, especially when you're the one in charge because you're responsible for everything, you know, but it's how can you be just as healthy in those boundaries for yourself as you are in the incredible work that you're doing. Mm. And so that's something that definitely I learned on this project and definitely like the key that, you know, I always remind myself of is self-care because if I'm not taking care of myself, then whatever work I'm doing is not going to be as productive. Yeah. And is there anything particular that you now, even years past the movie having been completed, although the project isn't complete, which we'll talk about in a minute here, but that you still do as far as self-care that's really been helpful to you? Um, really, I think it is just making sure I'm not, you know, one, one woman on an Island that really I have a good solid team because for a lot of this last project for sin by silence, I was one woman on an Island having to do so much myself and having to do, put so many different hats on to keep the project moving forward and to get it done and really that's what i've learned is if you don't have an you know a solid solid team in place then you know there's there's no one to carry you through those valleys there's no one to help carry things through when you get to the top of the mountain and you're just about ready to go over and you don't have enough stamina in you to make it over the mountaintop you know really i think it is creating the right team around you is so important cuz they help lift you up in those times when you can't do it yourself and and really that's that's what I learned the most. I mean, especially, you know, they say in my field that, that a director, a film director is only as good as the producers that he has on his team. Mm. And it's so true that you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And then if you don't surround yourself with people, then you're only as good as yourself. And, you know, we, 
we know where that goes, where you get burned out and you just, you just hit a wall basically. So it's really, for me, the key is teamwork to make sure that you can continue to be, um, you know, have progress in the work that you're doing. Well, speaking of being surrounded by people, you certainly did run into a lot of different personality types and professions in this work. I mean, I, I think about some of the people you interacted with, the inmates, <laughs> the folks in the prison system, legislation, legislatures, judges, attorneys. How did you find that you needed to adapt in order to relate and communicate with all these different kinds of people? Yeah, it was, it was a big learning process. I mean, it's true that all the red tape in the prisons and correction system, I had to learn on my own, you know, and how to get approval and how to get, you know, all the licensing and, and legal work done so that I could actually film in prison. And to actually, you know, we had kind of how to adapt for the film, getting ready for it to be released. Well, what are the, the organizations we're going to partner with? Who's going to help us spread the word? You know, are they domestic violence organizations? Are they, you know, the, you know, prison reform type organizations? There was a lot of stuff that we had to look into because it was, I was really venturing into, you know, whole new territory. And it's true, like we had to adapt and have different roles and put different hats on where, you know, where one person, you know, one phone call, I was talking to a senator and the next phone call, I'm talking to a battered woman's shelter. You know, it was it was really tough to get that all done and to adapt and to have the right language for, you know, whatever organization you're speaking with, whether it be criminal justice reform or domestic violence, you know, the anti-violence movement. It, it was really tough to communicate and really just what it came down to for me still was just that conviction of my heart and that I was doing this not for myself. I was doing this for my one of my best friends. And I was doing this for women in prison who I believe should not be there any longer. And so really it came down to where I, I wasn't speaking for myself. I was speaking for all of these women and I was representing a whole movement that I was trying to get going. And that's really what helped me adapt and helped, you know, I think just relate to all from a Senator to a domestic violence shelter on just a personal level where this isn't about me. This isn't about us. This is about changing the world. And so really getting people on that bandwagon was tough, but, you know, you just, you just learn to adapt on that same common theme was, well, my goal is to try to get these women out of prison. So how can I get these people along with that goal, you know, and especially once we had the film out and people could meet these women through watching the film, it was a lot easier. That's for sure. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Uh, what advice do you have, Olivia, for those out there who discover they've got a passion for something and they want to do something to help the world? What what would you say? What, where should someone start? I think that you just gotta you just gotta go for it. It's not where do you start. It's why haven't you started yet? You know, hmm. if, if you see an injustice in the world, or if you see something you want to change in your business, or if you see something you want to change in your organization, you know, it's, it's do something about it. You know, it's, it's about just taking that step forward and finally saying, well, you know what, I might not be all in, but I'm going to start this journey and see where it goes. And, you know, that's what happened for me. It's like, well, you know, I just had to make that decision when my friend gave me that, you know, called me on the phone 
am I in it or am I out? Am I going to help or am I, or am I going to turn a blind eye? You know, and then it also came to that point where I was going to start volunteering in prison. I mean, I was nervous that first day I went to prison. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, going to prison. And I ha- you see it in the movies and you see it in your head, like what prison's like and who am I going to meet? And these women murdered someone and, you know, there's going to be some criminals in there. What am I doing? But it's like, no, this has a bigger purpose here. You know, I'm, I'm going to help my friend. So I took that step into prison. And then once I was in prison, it's like, these women don't deserve to be here. So I'm going to take that next step and do something about it. And so really it's about just motivating, you know, I hope the people listening just become motivated from, you know, what happened from what started as one phone call for me, you know, and we can get in this now turned into a film that has been broadcasted to millions of people has helped change laws. I mean, really, if I hadn't taken that first step, look what wouldn't have happened, you know? And so really it just comes down to our, are you doing the right thing? And if you are, and if you believe you're doing the right thing, then go for it. You know, don't let anything stop you. And just really how, if the dots aren't connecting one way, well, how can you reconnect them another way? You know? I heard the quote a while ago that the smallest act is worth more than the grandest intention. And I think it's true for so many of us, Livia, that we have really good intentions and we see injustices or we see things that we want to change about the world or about our businesses or about the climates we work in. And a lot of us, and I'll put myself in this category too, we like to complain about it and we're and we say, oh, you know, someone should do something about that. But when you get to the point of really who's gonna do something about it, that becomes a much, much smaller group of people. And the people who are willing to be the doers to take innovative action are people that can create some amazing things in the world. And so and you're one of them. And I want to talk more now about what's happened since this movie came out, because the movie came out and you all went on a a long tour to screen the movie. And I know you talked to many organizations and universities and you engaged many, many young people in the dialogue around this movie, which is just amazing. And that was just the beginning. Can you tell us what happened next? Yeah, I mean, I never imagined where this film would go. And, you know, you always have the best intention for your work and want to see it go far, but it's, it's always a, a, a humbling experience when it does, you know, I mean, sin by silence, we, you know, Dave, you were there at one of our first screenings, I was. You, know, you, you were there when we were just launching and starting in festivals. And, you know, I did, you know, once I've said this, you know, once I had the film, it was a lot easier to get people on board with what I was doing. And, you know, we got funding to go on a national tour back in 2009 to take the film into um, communities that had the worst domestic violence statistics. And that was really my passion was to take this film to where it was needed the most, to really open up communities' eyes to what was happening around them through these women's stories, through these worst case scenarios, to really inspire people to want to prevent this from happening again. And so I was on the road for, you know, almost a year between festival screenings and, you know, community screenings, you know, we'd stop in a town like in, you know, like in Indiana and we'd make sure to hit up a, you know, university. We would make sure to hit up a fundraiser for, for the domestic violence shelter in that community. We would go to church. We would go to like just a, a community wide event. You know, we would try to make sure and hit up every factor while we were in that city to make sure that we got the different audiences exposed to the stories, exposed to the issues and connected with an organization in their community that, that they could then 
help, you know, because so many people are inspired to do something after they've seen the film. Well, I wanted to make sure that we could connect those dots for people and get them volunteering places or get them donating to, to their local shelter or something, you know, and, you know, I really was on, on this road of advocacy because my goal was to get these women out of prison. And, you know, it, it kind of happened where, you know, in 2010, we did a huge online initiative where we, you know, created all these packages and these bundles for people to use the film in their own community. Cause I could only be so many places, you know, and, and word was catching like, like, you know, just wildfire. And so we created these packages online for people to download all of the resources so they could, you know, have their own events in their own community. And it just took off even more where people were hosting their own events across the country. And, you know, it kind of took off and then, you know, a broadcaster got got interested in the film and what we were doing. And so in um, 2011, we, we debuted on the Discovery Channel to over two and a half million viewers were able to find, you know, to connect with these women's stories and be inspired by these women's stories. And, you know, all this press got involved from NPR to People Magazine to, you know, Fox News. And it was just fantastic that, you know, something that started so little had turned into something so big. And that really comes down to, you know, if I had given up at any of those valleys that I had hit along the point, you know, of making this project, it wouldn't have gone to where it did to inspire, you know, millions of people across the country and across the world. You know, if there was a point in my journey that I didn't take that first step to do something, you know, that this wouldn't have happened. And so what, what was even, you know, more exciting was still, you know, we still had that goal of how are we going to get these women out of prison? Like we've inspired so many people across the world, but still these women are still in prison. And it was actually after the broadcast that I got a call from a legislator in California who was willing to help make that happen. And so in, in 2012, I put on my legislator hat and I became almost a lobbyist where I had to start navigating the political world and understanding how the political process worked and really getting to a point where um, we had two laws that, that we were trying to pass through the state of California to help the women who were still incarcerated because the women who we feature in the film, they were not allowed to submit as evidence what they went through in their past, whether it be, you know, all the evidence that they had of abuse, all the witnesses that was not admissible in court. And where it is today, it's admissible in court. And so back then, all these women had witnesses, they had medical records, they had police reports. Back then, there were no laws in place that had, you know, allowed the judge to say, okay, well, here's the crime, but really what led to this crime? Mm. You know, there had to be something that led this woman to do what she did. And so that was really the injustice that was um, still allowing these women to be incarcerated and the injustice that still kept them behind bars. And so we were able to help change that through Assemblywoman um, Fiona Ma out of San Francisco. She helped us put two laws on the books, the sin by silence bills that help these women, whether it be through their parole process or whether it be um, to repetition the courts um, to um, get resentenced um, under today's laws. They are now able to submit their evidence of abuse to help explain why they did what they did. And so really that is kind of the journey that I've taken. You know, it's been hard, it's been tough, but really hopefully it helps inspire others to just take that first step. You know, when I got that phone call 
back in 2001, I never knew it'd lead to where I am today, where we have this incredible film and incredible press and laws have changed in California that we're trying to carry on to other states. But, you know, I'm just one person who had the conviction of my heart to help these women in prison. And, you know, maybe that's a lot more of an advocacy role than others are willing to take on. But I'm sure that every company and every organization and every person in their role in their life has something that they just are thinking, well, this needs to change, but who's going to do it? You know, maybe I'm the one that needs to do it because you never know where it'll take you. It was so amazing just watching this from as as more of an outsider <laughs> to the project uh, over the last couple of years, Olivia, and, and seeing the pictures you'd send over email and that you were there with an assembly, assembly person. And then all of a sudden, the next picture a couple of weeks later would be couple of assembly people, and then there was a whole bunch of senators. And then eventually we got this notification that the governor had signed the bills. And I just, it was so exciting to see what you and the people who've been involved with you on this project and the women uh, in prison have created as a result of this movement around this film. It's just an amazing, amazing story that you've told and an amazing movement that you've created. No, it's, it's been exciting and it's something that I never expected, but something that I am just so proud of because, you know, really it, it's been tough. Many times I wanted to give up, but look at the difference that's happened. You know, people have been inspired. Laws have changed. We just had the first woman released under the new laws um, just a month ago. She was released after 26 years in prison. And, you know, there's more women that are finally able to petition the courts now you know, I mean, over 7,000 domestic violence survivors in California are now being affected by this work wow. and are finally having hope that they can, you know, hopefully go home someday. And so it's it's just inspiring and, and very overwhelming. And I'll probably never know the extent that the impact of, of this film and the work has done. But, you know, I get emails every once in a while of just a woman who has, you know, decided to volunteer for her local shelter or has decided to finally leave her abusive husband because of she saw these women's stories and, you know, she saw herself in these women and she knew that it was finally time for her to get out. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes a difference. And that's the kind of stuff that keeps me going. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to think that, you know, me and, and now my small team have been able to impact all of this stuff you know, and all these changes and all making this difference. But if, if we, if I hadn't done that, look what wouldn't have happened. You know, Glenda Virgil, who was released just a month ago after 26 years in prison, she'd still be in prison, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's just stuff like that, that, that keeps you going and keeps you knowing, okay, I, I knew this was the right thing to do when no one else would believe in me. And now finally they're seeing it definitely was the right thing to do. So I know that people listening are going to want to get their hands on seeing the movie as soon as they hear this interview. And so I'm going to embed the trailer for the movie onto the show notes. So definitely check those out on our website. Uh, But Olivia, tell us what's the best way to get a hold of a copy of the movie and uh, what do you suggest? Yeah, the best way is to go to um, sinbysilence.com. Um, we can also find us on Facebook. Um, you can just search for Sin by Silence. We're also on Twitter. Um, and, you know, there's just so many ways we've definitely crossed over. But just sinbysilence.com, you can definitely get to know the women, see all the stuff that we have available for the, you know, the different packaging and what we've done with the film and the exposure that we've got. And we just love for people to connect with us and, you know, join the movement to 
to hopefully it can inspire them and whatever they're doing and the work that they're doing to kind of, um, you know, keep going on the road that they're going on. You know, one of the things you've mentioned that's really struck me, Olivia, is just how much harder it is to get people to buy into a vision before it is mm-hmm. it has really emerged into something. And just to just to back up what you've said, Bonnie and I, Bonnie had heard about your project earlier than I did. And the first time I heard about it is when we went to the screening. I think it was one of your first screenings. And the at the end of watching this movie, I mean, both of us were in tears. I mean, just bawling. <laughs> and and so this amazing masterpiece of a movie we had just seen, and I we were sitting there like, how much money do they need? <laughs> Where's the check? <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where like, and so as as powerful as that is, I think in some ways that's it's it's easier at that point to get involved, like you said. Yes. What I think is really amazing to me is the people who were involved with you and you on the front end before anything was ever created. Because of course, everything's created twice, once in our minds as a vision and then once in, in reality. Right. And blessed are you who were willing, able to have the vision for this and to to fight through the years you went through this to to take your vision and turn it into reality and to lead others to something great. And I'm just, I'm so inspired by you and I hope that others are inspired by your story as well. Thanks so much. I mean, yeah, I mean, you never know when you take that step where it's going to lead you. So hopefully it can inspire people that, you know, from a phone call to laws being changed, like I never imagined it, but I knew I had to do something. And so hopefully that inspires other people in whatever work they're doing to know that just take that first step. It might be scary, but it definitely can be worthwhile. Olivia Klaus is the director and producer of the film Sin by Silence. Olivia, thanks for being here. Thanks so much. As I'm sure you can tell from listening to this interview, this really is a labor of love for Olivia. And we talked a little bit after our conversation, and uh, you may have picked this up during the interview, but you know the, the laws changing in California are really just the first step in this process for a lot of the women who are behind bars. Uh, now they have the opportunity to uh, to go back to the courts and to... Uh, revisit some of their cases. But of course, that is not automatic. They have to have legal representation. They have have to have people who are willing to put together documentation for them. And so one way that you could potentially help in this effort or even get involved is if you have, uh, if you are a lawyer or maybe know someone who is looking, is a lawyer and is looking to uh, volunteer some time to do some pro bono work for uh, some of these women. Uh, That is something that is a huge need right now because the laws have been changed, but they need that legal representation to move forward. So if that is something that you are interested in or you know someone who is, uh, feel free to reach out to me, feedback at coachingforleaders.com. I will get you in touch with Olivia, or of course you heard the web address for Sin by Silence, sinbysilence.com. That's a great way to get in touch with her directly. And speaking of getting in touch, we'd love to hear your comments and feedback about this episode and this interview today. So if that's uh, something you'd like to join in on the conversation, go to coachingforleaders.com slash 103. That will get you there. You can also always leave an audio message as well. And the best way to do that is coachingforleaders.com slash speak. 
And I mentioned the email address just a moment ago. You can also call in 949-38-LEARN. And of course, that email address again, feedback at coachingforleaders.com. Hey, a few announcements before I let you go. I did mention on last week's episode that I have changed the RSS feed for the show. Uh, If you're not sure what that means, uh, the only thing you need to know is if you're on Windows Phone, or BlackBerry, this is going to affect you. So um, this is how you subscribe to the show is the RSS feed. Um, New subscribers, if you've just subscribed to the show recently, you are good to go. But if you've previously been on Windows Phone, subscribe to the show for some time, at least least two or three weeks, um, you'll want to unsubscribe from the show. I know it's hard (laughs) hard to believe I'm saying that. Unsubscribe from the show on your Windows Phone or your Xbox or Windows device and then resubscribe, and that will resync to the new feed. Unfortunately, their system doesn't allow it to change automatically. Um, those of you who are listening on you know, an Apple device or iPhone or Android, you should be okay. Um, if you're not sure, you can do the same thing too. So if you, or if you list, you're on a different app, like if you use Downcast or Instacast like I do, um, you know, just unsubscribe and resubscribe. That'll make sure to resync the feed. So if you have any concerns about not getting the show going forward, uh, with the feeds changing, just unsubscribe, resubscribe from wherever you use it, an app or directory, and that will resync things. Now, I do want to say a special message to BlackBerry listeners. I mentioned last time we were not able to get in touch with BlackBerry. For whatever reason, they're just not answering their email addresses. We've tried tweeting them everything. So um, BlackBerry, we have set up a new listing for the show in the BlackBerry podcast directory. So if you use that and you're a BlackBerry user, you're going to want to unsubscribe for the, from the show and then resubscribe to the show that's called Coaching for Leaders. There's an old name in the uh, co- Coaching Skills for Leaders. The show used to be called a long time ago. That's in the directory now. You want to subscribe to Coaching for Leaders and make sure to do that soon because for BlackBerry listeners, the old feed is going to go away in a couple of weeks. Uh, we do have to delete that one because unfortunately, new subscribers will find both and they won't know which one to subscribe to. So we are going to delete the old one. So if you're a BlackBerry listener, make sure to unsubscribe and then find Coaching for Leaders in the directory. And uh, if you do that, you'll be good to go. If you have any problems with that at all, send me an email, feedback at coachingforleaders.com. And finally, just a reminder that the LinkedIn Citrus Challenge is still on from episode 101. Hey, thanks to everyone for your messages on LinkedIn. I am swamped on email at the moment, so I apologize if I haven't gotten back to you already. I will in the coming days. I actually got a crazy busy week coming up, so if uh, it takes me a little longer to respond this week than normal, uh, please bear with me, and I will get back to you uh, on email or on LinkedIn. But if you are interested in joining, connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, and then send me a message on LinkedIn saying you're entering the contest. And if you want the details for that, go back and listen to episode 101, the easiest way to do that, coachingforleaders.com slash 101. Hey, thank you very much this week to Srinivasa Sivakumar, Mark Chanson, Bashkar Nelapudi, Tom Frick, Jim Lynch, Bill Keys, Monir Azuzi, Sean Richardson, and Mike Weiss for subscribing to my weekly article. I do publish an article each week that gives you a booster shot between shows on how to lead better by giving you some advice on improving your communications, human relations, personal productivity. If you'd like to get that in your inbox, go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. 
And uh, you also get access to my overview on 10 books that will make you a better leader. And by the way, you can find all the old articles on the Coaching for Leaders website. So that's at coachingforleaders.com. They're all up there. You can comment up there and join the conversation as well. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the segment today. I'd really love your feedback on this new series, Everyday People, Extraordinary Leaders. And uh, hey, if you know someone out there who's an unsung, unsung leader that maybe I should profile, I'd love to hear about it too. Have a great week. Take care.